develop your strategy first. If you don't have your strategy in place, it doesn't help, right? There's no way for you to implement a new process and make changes within the business without having a strategy. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Thursday, and in these episodes, we focus on one of two things. We'll either be sharing one of our favorite and most actionable talks from a Flip My Funnel event, or you'll hear Sangram and someone from the Terminus team discuss how they're getting better in a specific functional area of Terminus's business. And remember, like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Hey guys, how you doing? I'm super pumped about this. Everybody has this question. How do you cut through the noise and build awareness? Like every marketer should be psyched about this because that's kind of our job, right? That's our number one job. So with me today, I have Jeremy Middleton. Uh, He actually is live here in our Terminus office and we're going through this. We're going to do a whole bunch of conversation even after that. And we're really excited to have have him kind of share how they're doing it at Pramada, their story, really actionable stuff. Can't wait. So Jeremy, Welcome, and we'd love for you to share a little bit about yourself. Thanks for having me. My name is Jeremy Middleton. I'm the Senior Director of Digital Marketing at Pramada. I've been there about a year and a half, and I'm excited to share my story. All right. What I've been doing. Well, let's go. Let's jump into it. Great. All right. So for the agenda today, we'll uh, talk a little bit about who was Pramada. When we started on our ABM journey about a year and a half ago, what the challenges were, how we targeted how that influenced our choice of tools, the results we saw, and some advice and next step. Yeah, and I think this is super important for everybody to note is this this idea of consolidating tools. I think it's a very new one. So you guys are going to be completely jazzed when you get to that part of the presentation. So I can't wait for that. Yeah, there's a lot of tools out there. So (laughs) it does make it, it can be overwhelming. Yeah, we'll get, yeah, we'll definitely talk about that. Great. All right, so who is Pramada? Most people have not heard of Pramada. Let me set it up with uh, what the customer pain is that we help solve. Uh, you know, when you get a when you get a customer, you typically have some expected results from the relationship. But unfortunately, as they stay your customer, they often do not. You don't get as much as you want. You may be misbilling them, especially with your large, complex customers. You have churn. You lose renewals. You have penalties because you don't meet your service agreements. And you often, in dealing with these things, also then do not optimize uh, your results as well. So you don't upsell as much as you like. You don't implement price increases like we're planned. And when you have bad deals, large, complex contracts can just overwhelm people and you just keep them going forward. It can be very overwhelming. And so what Pramada does is we help eliminate revenue leakage. Uh, Here's some of our customers. Our typical customers are large B2B customers. They have these highly complex relationships. They've been around for a long time. Some of their customer relationships are still on paper. They do often have a lot of products, a lot of services. These may be siloed across BUs. So one salesperson or one finance person really doesn't know what's going on with the other product sales. Their size is typically 300 million in revenue. They do, these customers typically do get a large amount of revenue from install base. So that is, you know, you can think of these customers as having up to 80% of their revenue coming from install base and not new business. And they're entrenched with these companies. It would be very hard to break the relationship. 
Yeah. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that I feel like most people think about when it comes to ABM is like, well, can we do it across the board? Do we need to have a target list of customers uh, that we want to go after? And I think some of the things that's super interesting is you're, as you're going through this list, anybody who looks at this list would know these are mega companies. They have complex decision-making process. The sales cycle has to be a lot longer than, than an average, like three months, six months and stuff like that. And in these cases, if you are someone who actually has any of these characteristics, the rest of the presentation is just for you because that is what we are struggling with. If you have a transactional business, I almost wonder, like, you know, you, you may think about ABM as a long, you know, long-term strategy, but if you have a bigger deal size, longer sales cycle, multiple people part of the decision-making process, and that's where you're trying to cut through the noise and build awareness in those set of target accounts, I think this is, this is going to be goldmine. Totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah. And it, well, actually, we'll talk about this, yeah. right? We have, we saw this at, at Pramada for sure. And the idea of ABM actually was exactly what we needed because traditional marketing models don't work with these large, complex yeah. companies typically. So uh, anyway, so yeah, our customer profile, just a couple things, right? They, you're, they often, these older, larger companies have lower operating margin and they've acquired and divested companies numerous times over the years. So they not only do you have to worry about different product group working in silos, you have different you have different companies within the company that may or may not be uh, integrated correctly. All right. So that's that's what we do. We help customers remove that leakage that we hit on the first slide. These are the types of people we help. All right. The challenge we had. So th this is an interesting problem that not everybody has. Not everybody knows that revenue leakage is even existing in companies. So, first of all, how do you convince companies that there is a problem? Second of all, they may have tried to fix this problem if they do know it's a problem internally and they were not able to. So there's also a bit of skepticism that revenue leakage can even be fixed because it seems sort of overwhelming and too complex. And so if they spent a two-year IT project and $20 million on it, you know, they sort of have a sour taste in their mouth. Yeah. Uh, about it, and they would rather just think of it as a cost of doing business. You know, one of the things that we, when we are talking about this conversation as well, I think for Pramara, and you know, as we get into like how you're targeting and stuff like that, what was interesting to me was your retention rate. And because you're targeting so well, it, this problem, once you're able to get in front of the right people, you're able to keep them longer than anyone else. I think the big stat around less than one percent of the leads turn into a customer. That is just true because. Most of the leads are probably not the best fit customers and thereby they have a retention issue. Most companies have a retention issue. But you as a company, could you share a little bit about like how has your retention been overall compared to as you're targeting the right companies? Yeah. So our customer retention is very high because once people realize this problem can be solved and really other solutions solve bits and pieces of it, but it, we're probably the only company that resolves this pretty comprehensively. Companies don't want to lose that added revenue and operating margin, right? So we rarely, if ever, lose customers. Our, our churn rate is extremely low. I love that. I love, and I think if, if people think about ABM as only an acquisition strategy, I would ask everybody to think again. It is actually a truly growth strategy because if you can get the right customers and if they stay longer with you, that has a much bigger business impact on overall than if you try to get a wrong customer and try to have them close and then they leave. It has a huge cost to the company. So 
uh, ABM is not only for great acquisition strategy, but also for having great retention. Yeah, yeah, it's much more expensive to get a new customer than to keep a customer, for yeah. sure. Yeah. All right, so that, that was our challenge we had. When we started this, we were marketing to many, many people across different industries, different titles. Uh, so if you think about it, we were trying to market to pharma and asset management and technology. And so across all these different verticals that have different flavors of revenue leakage, right? And in terms of the titles, there's not, most people don't know this problem exists and most people do not have the power to change it, right? So when you're marketing to lots of titles, you end up with a very large percent of initial leads that uh, are not accepted. Yeah. Right. The sales team doesn't accept it because you get the people in the room. They say, not my problem. I don't know what you're talking about. Or if I acknowledge this is a problem, you know, this is my job. Right. Yeah. So you got to get the right people anyway. And so when you have that issue, it does decrease your conversion rate and increase your cost per win for sure. And the last thing is we we because we were trying all these different things, marketing to everyone different ways, we had a lot of uh, different uh, we had a pretty large MarTech stack for a company of our size. And uh, so, you know, that adds to cost as well. All right. So uh, based on that, right, we wanted to become more efficient. We wanted to make sure every dollar counted. We wanted to tighten up what we do and get more targeted. So those are pretty straightforward. And that's what we did throughout 2018. Was that the goal? Uh, because I, I love the part when you, when you have it increase efficiency. And I think more and more companies are using that as a way to say, we want to go more efficiently because we don't have, not every company raises $200 million and, and have that kind of jackpot kind of founders. And those, most companies yeah. are pretty, they're pretty lean in, in general. Like you have like five jobs in your company, right? You yeah. have BDR team reports to you, you have revenue operations along with you have digital marketing, you're doing inbound and ABM. So your role encompasses like what most like most marketing organizations have, where they're too few people and they have a lot of responsibility. So when it comes to efficient growth, was that something that you yourself were like all in and wanted to do, or was that an organizational mandate that you guys need to have an efficient growth model for marketing? I, I tend to lean towards the efficient model anyway, but but also it was there was an organizational push to be more efficient as well. So I just sort of naturally like that. So yeah. it, it, it was a nice fit together. Yes. All right. So to do this, we're going to, we're going to hit basically three things. We, we needed a, a strategy, which we'll talk about in the next few sections. We needed a process to support that strategy and we need the tools to enable it. So uh, this is the first part of talking about the strategy and how we picked our target accounts. We decided to work since we talked about the different flavors across different industries. We decided to focus on one industry, which was technology, and we identified accounts that met those criteria. So on the previous slide, they had to be big enough. They had to be complex enough. They probably had acquisitions. So we identified our account universe and the message that would associate to their pain. Because really, if, if you can't, I would never talk to someone unless if they were trying to sell me something, unless it was something I needed. Right. Mm -hmm. I've. I don't need another car, so I'm not going to talk to a car salesperson. Yeah. So anyway, we identified those accounts, which greatly simplified the building of the message, right? Because it's one message for everybody. We then said, who in the company cares? And we'll talk about who those people are in just a few minutes. Uh, but who cares? What's their job? Why would this matter to them? Again, looking at their pain. 
We re-engineer our processes. And by this, I mean, we, we had a strategy. We said, let's sort of do a reset. If we're going to do more of an account-based model, what needs to change? And with that, how do we use those changes to consolidate our tool set or expand? We didn't, we ended up consolidating, but it, did we need a larger or smaller tool set to enable this? So this, this was our basic strategy. So yeah, in terms of target accounts, like I said, large mature tech, we did find that universe. We did pick, we did tier them. Uh, we said there's some highest priority accounts because, you know, in any marketing program, getting those uh, known logos is always important. Yeah. Right. That makes it a lot simpler to sell to other people. Is steering is how how important is steering? And when when people are thinking about like building, creating noise and building awareness in the right kind of accounts, how important is for companies to to do tiering? It probably depends on your business model. For us, it was pretty important, though. Um, it's probably pretty important for most people because, you know, you have a limited number of resources. Tiering allows you to allocate resources appropriately. So your highest tier accounts may have active sales and marketing involvement, your lower tier accounts, maybe it's marketing led, then you hand over to sales. So tiering, I think, is pretty helpful in, uh, like I said, allocation of resources. That makes sense. Perfect. Yeah. All right, our personas, sales, ops, and finance. Uh, why, <laughs> what, that's pretty straightforward, right? We have two. And so why, why sales, ops, and finance? If you think about it, we talked earlier about customer pain, uh, for example, churn and not being able to upsell. Those are Highly sales focused things. Sales people in particular probably do not, probably do not think about this problem as much, but sales ops from an operational side greatly cares about renewal rates, churn rate, percent upsell and install base. So they, they do care about this. Uh, finance cares about this because if you're misbilling people, it affects your, uh, operating margin. Um, also there's some compliance and legal issues if you're not meeting your SLAs. And so finance cares about this as well. Marketing would not, right? Yeah. They don't, they don't care about this. So why would we target them? And we do target high just because again, an individual contributor or a manager doesn't know about this and they probably don't care too much. So we are targeting VP and C level people personas in these accounts that you, we identified. And you may have it in a couple of slides down, but like you're not creating forms for people to fill out on your website. Correct. When we talk about uh, building awareness, if people don't know this is a problem, they don't know that Pramada exists. And so the last thing you want to do is ask a a CFO or a head of sales ops at a large company to fill out a bunch of forms. You want to freely give them the information. Was that hard for you and your organization to do is recognize like you're not no forms because I bet that 99% of the people listening to it have forms. Yeah, and it does make sense, for example, if you sell hard drives, Yeah. right? The people who buy hard drives, they know they buy hard drives. It's a much more straightforward piece to give the new Gartner report on hard drives and how great your product is and get a form fill from that. It's a little bit more straightforward, but if, if you're trying to build out a category, it's not helpful to block people's information. Uh, yeah. And in the and we did have we went back and forth a little while about forms, no forms. But we did find that about 98 to 99 percent of our uh, opportunities generated forms went nowhere. So why have forms? Wow. That's why. 
And we were paying, uh, you know, we were doing content yeah. syndication as an example. We were paying to get these form fills and they were not giving us anything. Well, you just proved the reverse of it. Less than 1% of the leads turn into customers. You just said 99% of them did turn into customers. So you just proved that stat. Yeah. Big way. That is amazing. Yeah. I mean, it was very, once we had that data, it was very straightforward. <laughs> so, all right. How do we solve their pain, right? This is an important question. We sort of hit on this, but what we do is we, our product takes large, complicated customers, contracts. They, one customer at a large company probably has three to four or more contracts, dozens of uh, amendments, price changes that were documented on those amendments, but not updated formally in systems. Uh, so what we do is we take all that information. We have, we use human-assisted AI with a team of data scientists and legal experts. We bring it all into one view so you can see, for example, risk of, re, of churn or identify your main billing inaccuracies, just as a couple of examples. Yeah. And we give it back in a usable format uh, rather than all the uh, individual pieces of paper. It's consolidated into one thing so you can see that. And, yeah, and so – we can also look at it and you can see the individual documents, but uh, a lot of people, if you don't start with that high level view, it's very confusing. Yeah. Where do you even start? It's too much paper. All right. So re-engineering the process. Here's what we did. We had the strategy in place we just talked about, right? What we did was we audited all of our systems and tactics that we were using and looked at to measure their effectiveness. So to do this, we had to identify metrics and KPIs, of course, for each of them. With this, we were able to break them into two tiers, nice and simple, successful ones and less successful ones. <laughs> so pretty straightforward, right? The things that were successful, we went and looked, we evaluated the tools, we said in an account-based marketing model, does this tool support that or is it more like a broad traditional dimension tool? We use that then, we then use that to ex execute and target our accounts that we're going after and then we monitor the metrics for continuous improvement. The least successful tactics, we looked at the barriers we had on them. We said, what's the cause of this not working? Is it because, is it, is it because it doesn't relate to the strategy? Is it because we're not using it right? And sometimes yeah. you don't do things right, you know, but you can fix that. And so we determined the cause. If they were, if it didn't fit the strategy, we got rid of the tactic, like forms. Yeah. That's a great example. Uh, we made the changes and then uh, we implement the same continuous improvement process on the things that were left and the other things just fell off the radar. I love that. I love that you guys took action on it and simplified the process. I think a lot of people that I see in trying to do ABM is that they complicate the process. We could make it so complex that they feel like it makes it overwhelming and for anybody to even take an action. So I think one of the greatest things from your strategy perspective seems like you just simplified it, not just from a strategy overall perspective, but also from tools that you'll get into, like how many tools you use, to how which buckets you put in, do we have forms or no forms? Like it just seems like simplification was a core part of your strategy. It was. That's what the strategy demanded. It could have gone the other way, right? right? But it didn't, right? Because it was it was overly complex. You know, a lot of people go into these scenarios and they have they're trying to re-engineer something and say, oh, but we've had this tool for seven years and everybody's certified on it yeah. and we've always done it this way. And when you go to re-engineer the process, you're not really fixing the process. Yeah. You're trying to uh, fix what's there, even if it doesn't fit your strategy. Yeah. Right. And, and so that 
if you do that, you're only going to get marginal improvements. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, and the key metrics are listed on the right. There's probably not too many surprises there. The only thing uh, we do sign have to sign NDAs with people because if we're looking at their customer relationships, we sort of need some privacy. Okay. So, but the other metrics are pretty straightforward. All right, tool consolidation. We did, like I said, this could have gone either way, but we did end up consolidating tools. We started with 22 tools in our MarTech stack. 22. Uh, 22. And yes, how two, big two. is your marketing team? Five. I mean, that is a pretty telling thing. Yeah, yeah. And so do you really need all that, right? Yeah. <laughs> so so we did. By going through this process, we were able to eliminate all but six of these tools or change vendors. So Terminus, uh, Sangram, by the way, thanks for having me. I didn't <laughs> say that, is one of the, the tools we use. We uh we use this for our uh, account analytics and for our uh, awareness ad work. And we have seen a significant increase in number of opportunities created that had clicked on ads beforehand. So thank you. They were also good as we were implementing this. The company had never done an ABM model before, so they were great strategic partners as well. Uh, we use Marketo for our marketing automation, uh, Salesforce. Not a surprise there, probably, uh, but Salesforce for our campaign and deal and our, our deal management. A deal signal is our lead enrichment tool. If you think about the fact that we have a pretty limited universe and in, of accounts and in that universe, there's a limited number of people. We were actually able to use LinkedIn Navigator, the next tool listed to manually research and find the people we needed to talk to for each of our accounts. And we use deal signals, our enrichment tool. They have really good rates of uh, enrichment. Sales Loft is our, once we identify engagement and interest, our BDRs use Sales Loft. And then we are going to be adding in intent data that's coming. So that's the other piece to help us really identify who's interested. So we, uh, our BDRs to talk. So significant consolidation in tools. How does that feel? Oh, it's great. Uh, you know, uh, before this call, Singer was saying, well, what were the tools? I can't even remember now. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't, so I couldn't list, but maybe three of them if I tried. So. And, and I guess the, you know, the big, big, obviously it's a rhetorical question. We got a few great. And I feel like, uh, this is almost the ABM 2.0 as we've been talking about is like status quo was like people just trying to run acquisition campaigns. And that's pretty much was what MQL, SQL kind of thing and, or CRM marketing automation. And you're good. I think as part of the, the evolution of it, everybody got behind the 7,000 plus MarTech tools. And now everybody had like 20, 30. That I think has become a common thing. And I feel like 2019 is actually the year where I'm seeing more and more marketers go and say, you know what? Week one, we're not even using half of them. Mm -hmm. And the ones that we're using, you're not using them properly. So let's just start figuring out not just best of the breed in every single thing. Let's just start consolidating. So I'm glad you guys are at the forefront of that. Yeah, it's great. And I'm, my life would be a nightmare otherwise. <laughs> not, it's not all about me, but in this case, that, that greatly simplified my life. So, all right. Uh, so let's talk about the results. So we did all this work. We've been executing now since about February of last year, and we, we've seen great results. We did reduce our tool set by 70%, and that's the number of tools. And it's also a significant expense. So if you think of us trying to be more efficient and have a lower cost per opportunity, that helps in itself. Yeah. Our ad clicks are twice industry average, uh, which is great. Part of that, the one, we're targeting the right people, we're targeting the right accounts, and Terminus is placing them in the right place. So great, great news there. 
And since we are talking to the right people with the right accounts, our sales acceptance rate of leads has gone up four times. Pretty dramatic in a year. Uh, a lot of these changes actually happened within six months, but we, uh, but they've continued to incrementally increase as we've done our continuous improvement process. So uh, with this increased efficiency, it did inc- decrease the cost of a sales accepted lead by 81 percent. Uh, and that's so people have asked me before if that's a typo, but that is true. <laughs> yeah, our deal times decreased by 32 percent, and we've increased the mid-stage pipeline by two and a half times. So. It's been a great result, but you know, this is just a starting point. I don't, it's not a, an end point, right? Yeah. So continuous improvement, you always monitor your results and try to improve. Something's not working. It's okay. Stop doing it. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, I mean, these are obviously super impressive results and clearly the growth in your company is, is, is showing off. One of the metrics that's not mentioned here, but we talked about this morning was around the whole changes in the patterns on your website. Mm. Could you share that? Yeah, yeah, sure. So everybody assumes web, more web traffic is good. And our web traffic for this process has dropped some. Uh, it's not significant, but it has dropped some. But what we found was when we dug into it, because that's concerning to people, is that originally 30, our target market was about 30% of our, of our web visits. And it was all the other people in the world were 70%. And at this point, we, with fewer visits, we do have 70% of our target market now with the web visits and 30% are the non-target market. So it fully flip-flops. The right people, more of the right people are coming to our website now, even if we don't have as much volume. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And I wanted to double click on that one because I feel like Everybody thinks ABM is hard, complex, more requires more work, and which is like, well, that's like any good thing in life. Like it's gonna take work and yeah. effort to do it, but the results clearly speak for itself. And don't be alarmed. I guess it would be a, a big notion for everybody. Don't get alarmed when some of your vanity metrics start to change and show, right? Because a lot of it's traffic to the website. Yes, it was important, and I guess it is important, but what's more important is traffic from the right people on the website is what, you know, clearly Jeremy is saying. So that's just a, an example, an example of what I think people are going to go through when they go through this transformation is the vanity make metrics are going to fade off and almost start helping you understand that they were false positives. Mm-hmm. And the things that really matter are these, as you can see, these are all business metrics. It's not just what a, somebody in digital marketing is concerned with. This is what the CFO, the CEO would actually say, you know what, this is what I care about for marketing. So again, kudos for what you guys have been able to do. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing is if we still had these 22 tools in a more complex system on the web piece, I bet we would not have been able to identify that that was actually not a bad thing. We would have had to stuck with the vanity metric because there would have been too much noise. We wouldn't have been able to find it. That's great. Yeah. All right. So next steps for folks. I I think there's three. De- develop your strategy first. If you don't have your strategy in place, uh, it doesn't help, right? There's no way for you to implement a new process and make changes within the business without having a strategy. So first, make sure you have that strategy. Make sure everybody agrees on, right? This is not a marketing-specific choice you're making. It's a company-specific. And that's the next point, right? Uh, this is a business transformation. It's not a marketing transformation. The, it, it affects the whole company because salespeople have to carry that correct message. The product 
team is making a product for a certain set of people, it doesn't it actually simplifies product teams yeah. job, right? Because they don't have to meet everyone's needs. They get to meet a more specific market's needs. Uh, and last, here's here's one thing that I think is, is good to end with, which is the iteration. Always iterate, but don't change your strategy. A lot of people will say, you know, ABM takes a while to implement, right? And a lot of people get nervous. And what do they do? They change their whole strategy. Well, your new strategy is going to take a while to implement, too. And if it's immediately successful, you're going to change it again. Make a strategy, stick with it, and then improve the process based on the data. That's what you need to do, in my opinion. Love that. Love that. So, Jeremy, thank you so much. Uh, Tori, do we have any questions? I know we, we wanted to keep it uh, very actionable. So any questions we have, we'll love to take them. We do have a few uh, questions. So the first one for Jeremy. Can you give an example of your buyer persona? Uh, yeah, our buyer, we sort of hit this and, uh, it looks like Christina that we, uh, talked. Maybe we, you what may they have, look like, but like maybe how you built it or some of the attributes that you have for those two. Oh, two sure. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I see what, I see what the question means. Yeah. So for these buyer personas, we, uh, the attributes we have for them are their concerns, what they do in their job. We have, Firmographic information on, on the type of people who do this. We looked at things like what is important to them at work, what keeps them up at night. So a lot of uh, just high level general questions, which would help us inform the message. How did you go about doing that? I know sometimes, and this question is coming from me. I know sometimes people go through like get a consultant to come in and go through a workshop. Sometimes they keep it simple and just put what they know. Other times they're pulling stuff from tools. Yeah, great question. In liking to run efficient, we did not hire someone else to help us. Uh, a lot of this was done ourselves. So the I our team did a lot of research. We also looked at our uh, this was a, a good tool was actually using your web data because with Google Analytics you can see the people who are coming to your site and what industries they're in. So we used that to inform the data as well. And then we used uh, analyst research. So it was all in-house from three main spots. I can appreciate wanting to keep it late. Uh, we have another question here. Did you use any third-party tools or solutions to identify target accounts, or was it all manual? We did use, to get a larger, broader list, we used uh, Discover Org to get a, a larger list of those technology accounts. And then it was a manual whittling down. We actually about... We're always updating this. Any accounts that are disqualified because they really don't, we thought they met the model that we talked about at the beginning, but they don't. We remove those. Uh, and about every six months, we look to make sure we're not missing any other accounts. But now that we have the base list, we do it ourselves manually. But we did have some help in the start. All right. And it might just be important to point out, you, you may have said it in there. I think where some people are trying to like really need to figure out what's their big account big pool of accounts, their total addressable market, mm -hmm. and then figure out how they can dice that up to hit their like revenue goals. Y'all really are in this very uh, unique and uh, nice situation where you're going after big accounts, so you really just needed to whittle down and say, here's the few hundred we needed to focus on. Yeah, it's the best of the big accounts. So our life is much simpler than a company that has 20,000 targeting, right? Sure. It made it much simpler to work with for sure. How do you capture contact information? That's probably you've talked about you have no form. So so how are you 
capturing when somebody's ready to sign up? Well, we, of course, if somebody comes inbound to us, they can chat with us, which is great. Uh, since we started this, we have seen a pretty uh, significant and steady increase of inbound. Uh, and they're in the right market, which is fantastic. So, so we do that. We have one form on our website. We, like I said earlier, we have a, when we had more forms, most people filling out the forms were not the people who could be purchase our product. Uh, and so we were spending a lot of time with that. So we do literally, since we have a pretty tight account list and persona list, we can identify all of our contact information with, uh, LinkedIn and company organizational uh, charts on their website and that type of thing. Yeah, and that is super important for people to, to really think through is that leads are super important when you don't know what your target account look like or your total addressable market look like. If you know what your total addressable market look like, chances are you also know within those companies, which functions you want to go after. And if you know those two questions, if you don't have answers to those questions, I think no amount of strategy is going to help you because less than 1% of the leads turning to customers is just as true for you as anybody else or for, for us. But if you know your total addressable market and if you know which accounts you're going after and the people and the roles that you are going after, then you need to really get them engaged. And engagement doesn't mean filling up a form. That was the old way. Engagement means are they spending more time with you are they engaging with your content? Are you able to get them to go through the different process? And there are tools like, you know, Salesloft Navigator, Terminus, and others who can give you non-anonymous data that will allow you to pull all that information together. So I think, I think technologically, I think we are far more advanced to get all this information. So don't, don't let's not trip on like lead is the only way to get, get contact information. Yeah. And we, we have an unfair advantage, just like we have a concise list of accounts. You know, at a billion dollar company, how, how many people is this a major issue for? You know, it's, it's 10 to 20 out of the 10,000 people that work there, right? So it's, it's a, makes it much easier for us. We, you know, exactly. Yeah. All right. We have two different questions that I think could go together. So one person asked, what marketing channels is Pramada using? What channels are working best? And then also someone else asked, how do you reach and engage contacts that have never heard of you? So probably through the same two things. Ooh, yeah. Okay. So let, let's answer the second one in the first one as okay. through our tactics. So uh, our marketing channels we're using, we are using Terminus to do digital ads. That is the one of the primary ways that we are identifying or engaging people who have never heard of us. Also, since we've, we've identified all the people who would care at our co- companies, we can do marketing automation as well. We do uh, calling social and email campaigns from our BDRs. We work with AR, PR. We go to events. Uh, but again, very specific events. We used to go to a broad range of events, but the events we're uh, going to are highly specific to the people we're looking for. So standard channels, right? Uh, what's working best? Well, each one of those probably has a different function. So the ads, as an example, that we do with Terminus, are not going to generate an opportunity, but we are doing twice the above the industry standard. So that that is doing well, right? Our events are to get lead, clearly to get leads and opportunities. So it has a different metric to that's measuring it. So in terms of what channels are working best, they're all they're all exceeding standard measures, but but it's sort of an apples and orange comparison to see which one's best. 
like Singram did earlier, you shared a number about, I think you did a little looking into how many opportunities uh, that were created, I believe it was, that had terminus clicks before the opportunity was created. Can you share that number? Yeah, it, 85% of opportunities, because uh, nobody, right, not many people know about our company. So 85% of people were exposed to our company through ads at first. So yeah, that's, that's significant, right? Cause without that digital, without that digital presence out there, though we would not have those opportunities or we'd be spending a lot of time and effort to get them, which decreases our efficiency. All right. And, uh, here we have another combo that I think goes together. How big was your team? I, I think how big was your team when it start when you started this and how long did it take to come up with the whole ABM strategy? Yeah, good question. So I've been with the company about a year and a half. We started working on this last September and we started in January. So about a third of a year to come up with it and do all the work we talked about. So that's how long it took. And there are five of us. It's not a large team. Wow. It's just the right number. Yeah. So here's one about what content you're using in campaigns. And and I think this is a question that comes up that I see a lot is what's content mean in ABM? And um, did you use what you had or did you create new stuff? Are you able to repurpose with updated message framework or executive decision maker personas? Yeah, great question. We we had to repurpose Right. It's a it's a bandwidth issue. Right. Content making content is time intensive or you can outsource it and it gets expensive. We did repurpose what we had and we started building out new content as well. Uh, and by content, I don't I mean, white papers, blogs, the website, anything we had written. So, uh, yeah, to get get it kick started, we repurposed things. And after that, uh, since then, we've been building new content based on this model. All right. And I think this is the last question. Can you please provide, let's say, a deeper example of how you evaluated a marketing tactic against your key metrics? Sure. Yeah. So uh, we sort of hit on. Let me use an example I used earlier to reinforce it. We had a content syndication program and we were getting. So the key metric for that is that we should be getting high quality leads, which accept which are accepted by sales right after an initial meeting. So we found that only about one to two percent of those actually turned into opportunities. So that was a lower performing tactic, not necessarily a bad tactic, but it didn't fit our strategy. Right. So since it didn't fit our strategy, we stopped doing content syndication and shifted that to more awareness advertising uh, because the awareness advertising helped us meet that goal of getting our name out there. So that's an example. Right. Well, I think that'll wrap things up. Sangram, is there anything you'd like to say as we close out here? I would say play some Rocky theme songs because that's what we played <laughs> before we started to get pumped up. Uh, but in all seriousness, ABM, you can only make it as easy or as hard as you can. I think we, we do believe that 2019 is a year of consolidation of our different tools and technologies. So don't think you always need a completely new set of tools to do what we are. Everything we talked about could be done in a manual way, in some way, shape, or form, or has been done, to, like, the cost of doing ABM doesn't have to go up, um, and, and that's something we should think about and talk about. And then there's a tremendous amount of vanity metrics that we all track, 
And ABM will actually get rid of those. And that's okay to not track every single metric. And we'll have to just recognize that there are new business outcome-oriented metrics that, that everyone should care about. Jeremy, any last words? I like simple. Keep it simple, right? The more complex you make it, the harder it is to keep track of everything and to do it well. So, you know, it's the old adage, do you don't have to do everything, but do what you do well. It, it fits here. So that would be it. And thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for being You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.